0: you would uh, pray with me, and then we're going to look at that passage in Ephesians 2 that we just had read to us a moment ago, but let's pray first. Lord, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather together as your people. We thank you for this place you've provided. Uh, We thank you that we can lift our voices and sing your praises. We thank you for giving us your word, uh, that we can read it here together. Uh, We thank you that we have the freedom to gather here and openly proclaim your name, and so we thank you for all these things. Uh, We pray that as we open your word and we spend this time in it, that you would be our teacher, that you would lead and guide us in all truth this morning. Uh, We confess we cannot do this without you, and so we ask that your spirit would move in this place, that you would take the eternal truths of your words and apply them to our hearts and our minds, that we would leave here having seen you more clearly, growing closer to you, uh, wanting to obey and follow you more closely. Uh, We thank you. We pray all these things In Jesus' precious name, amen. Um, I was thinking about uh, this week um, a movie... Uh, that Joanna and I went to see uh, right after we were married. And it's funny that uh, some memories that stick in your mind that you can remember exactly where you were and where you went. And uh, we had gone to see this movie uh, years ago with the church we were members of in Houston, Texas. And our pastor actually uh, texted and said, anybody that wants to go uh, to this movie or wants to go... Actually, I don't think he texted because I don't think we were texting then because it was almost 20 years ago. So... Somehow he communicated with us that we knew we were all going to go to a movie together. And uh, at this time, we had no children, so we were like, sure, we'll go to a movie in an hour, like, which we could never do now. That's just a distant memory that we could do that. But we went to this movie, and uh, it was kind of our community group at the time, and we went. And it was to see a, kind of a silly comedy. It wasn't anything real deep or profound, but it was a movie called About a Boy. Maybe you've seen that movie. Um, it was a movie about a guy that was a young guy that had, had so ordered his life that no one would kind of infringe upon his life. He was kind of independently wealthy, he didn't have to work, he could kind of do whatever he wanted. And so at the beginning of the movie, he talked about how he was an island. That there was the saying that no man is an island, and he was defiantly saying, yes, and I am one of them. I am an island, and I get to do what I want when I want. Uh, And the movie's kind of a silly comedy, but there's a deep point in it, in that this man, uh, who's about 40 years old, ends up befriending a middle school boy that lives in his neighborhood. And he becomes friends with him, and through the friendship with the boy, he becomes friends with uh, the boy's single mother that has a bunch of different issues, and some of her friends, and all these people. And you get to the end of the movie, and the idea is that he realizes he needs people in his life. And that he desperately needs a community, and people around him, and people that he's spending time with. And I remember we went to this, and we went with our, our community group, and we got out, and, and actually Joanna and I were in this group with our pastor at the time, and our pastor Chris said, do you guys see this? Like, this is the way we're made. We are made in God's image after his likeness. We are created in a way to be relational. And we need relationships. And we need other people in our life. And even when they have issues and problems and they infringe upon our lives in these different ways, we need this. He was exactly right. And, and I have to, I'll have to send my old pastor Chris a message and say, your lesson worked, because I still remember it 20 years later, what he was saying. And it's true that we do need people in our life, that the Bible tells us we're made in God's image, that we are made for relationship. Not just with God, we are ultimately made to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father who created us, that fashioned us, that knows what we're like and what we're made for. But we also need relationships with other people. There's only one thing in the Bible that it says before sin enters that God says was not good. He creates Adam and he puts him in the garden and he's there and then he says it is not good that man should be alone. It's the only thing that the Bible says is not good before sin enters That we're made not to just have a relationship with God, but with other people. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of the community that we have in Jesus. And so we've been going through this book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul writes to the early church in Ephesus that would have been circulated around to early churches then. And he's writing to an audience that's, that's most certainly jewish and Gentile together. Jewish and Gentile believers. All that means is there were those that had grown up in the Jewish faith that were Israelites, that were part of what God was doing, and then there's the, those that were outside of it. Gentiles, non-Jews. A lot of times that meant irreligious people that hadn't grown up kind of in the church. And so it's it's a broad term, but that's basically what he means. And so we get into Ephesians, and he's telling us that we're now these new people that have been saved. We've been unified together. We talked about last week, you heard Dan read it just a minute ago, verses 11 to 16. It talks about how there was a dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that's now gone in Jesus. And we talked, if you were here with us last week, just a little bit about this idea, the dividing wall that was there, that the Jews were using the law. They were using what God had given them as a people and the temple and the way they worshipped as a way to look down on other people. And when Jesus came and what he does in the fullness of what he would do for us, it blows that apart. That was never God's intended plan, the way they were doing that, and they had got it wrong. Jesus comes Corrects that. We'll come back to that idea in a minute, but we were there last week talking about how now the two have become one. We've been united together. And now there's one people. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. We're now brought together into this thing that we call the church. And when we say that, what we mean by the church is the people. The people who have put their faith in Jesus and what God has done through him. The church is not a building, it's not a place you go to, it is the redeemed people of God. And so when we talk about a church, this is a church, but it's made up of the people that make up this church, not this building. Uh, Just as there is one church universal throughout the world, of all believers at all times are part of the church. So We might say the church universal, all believers all time, church local, Church of the Apostles right here. And there's a lot of local churches. And so what he's talking about is universally who we are as the church. And he's going to give us three uh, analogies of of what that looks like. Uh, If you read or you were listening as Dan read, as we get to about verse 17 there, he's going to begin to talk about how we're now citizens. And this is the way I want us to look at this passage. We're just going to look at the three ways he talks about us. And I want you to notice as he talks about those three ways that they get kind of deeper in intimacy as we go. So three things kind of getting deeper and deeper. Uh, It's one of those things we say here if you've been around the church. That we want to be growing as disciples, which just means in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. And the way that we do that is we go deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. Because that's the way Jesus made disciples. And I think there's some of that in this passage, in the analogy, the different ways he talks about this. And so one he says, we're citizens with the saints. We're going to talk about what that means. Just this idea of being citizens in God's kingdom. And then he says we're now part of God's household. We're now part of his family. So citizens and then family. And then the last one he talks about us being a temple for the very spirit of God. And so we're going to look at those three images that Paul uses to kind of help understand who we now are in Christ. And what we're called to be as a church. And so I want us just to look through those. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Dan told you just a second ago, if you've got the striped Bible, it's 634. If you've got the one that looks like this, it's on 568, or the all-white one is 568. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to start here in verse 17, picking up where we are. Let me just this real quickly. If you weren't here last week or the last two weeks, we've been in Ephesians 2 for several weeks. Ephesians 2 is this soaring passage that tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were not spiritually alive. We didn't care about our relationship with God. We had walked away from it. And that's the natural state of all people. But God being rich in mercy causes us to become alive in Jesus and we are brought back in. And then he summarizes and he says, by, by faith you have been saved. It's by the grace of God and your faith in what Jesus has done. And he says, this is not your doing. This is a gift of God. All people are saved the same way by the grace of God and relying on the work of Jesus and what he's done. That's what destroys the dividing wall of hostility that he's talking about right before. You can't look down on other people because we're all saved the same way. Jews can no longer look down on Gentiles or vice versa because it's all God's grace. And so then he gets to now the outworking of this is the unity that we now have because we're saved the same way and we have the same spirit through what Jesus has done. And so that's where we're going to pick up here. So verse 17 and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. We talked about that last week. Far off being the irreligious that weren't aware of the things of God, and those being near the Jews that had God's very word. But they both need to hear the grace of God and what he's done in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're near or far, you still need the same grace. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So you then are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so I'm going to stop there for just a second. Because he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And I think Paul's kind of turning at that point to address more directly the Gentiles. Gentiles being the irreligious, the non-Jews the ones that haven't had direct access to God in these ways. And he was talking about, just before this, about the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles and what that looks like. And here he talks about them being aliens and strangers. And we were talking last week about that wall of hostility of the Jews looking down on the Gentiles. In fact, they would refer to them as dogs. Dogs. They would call them dogs, and they were unworthy, and they were unclean, and they were dirty, and we don't want to have anything to do with them. But there was very literally a dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles when you came in up to the temple. As you approached the temple, there was an outer area that Gentiles were allowed to come into. But then to actually enter into the temple and into the courtyard, you couldn't go past that if you were a Gentile. If you were not Jewish, it was actually posted that if you went any further that you could be killed. It was that intense, right? So when Paul talks about a dividing wall of hostility, yes, the hostility of them looking down on them and treating them that way, them resenting that, hating them back, and they're hating each other, but there was very literally this division that you couldn't go into this place, And I want you to think about what this to this audience very early when they heard in the first century that Paul now says a Jew is saying to Gentiles, you are no longer aliens and strangers. You are no longer outside the plan. You are part of what God's doing and you are now have uh, you are now citizens with the saints. And so he uses that that picture there at first that you are now citizens and you have all the rights Uh, He starts his letter this way. He talks about us being saints at the beginning. I'm writing to the saints in Ephesus. The Bible uses that over and over. And the reason he can say that and the reason he pulls that analogy there is you now have all the same rights because you are saved the exact same way it's through Jesus and nothing else. And it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew, you desperately need God's grace. And he's saying you now have all the same rights. And I want you to think about what that would sound like to a first century Gentile that couldn't go into the courtyard, that was always kind of away, was always being looked down on by the religious elite of the day. And I was trying to think about what would that how to how you feel that. I was trying to think of different analogies, maybe even in our own day. And another movie came to mind. It came out a couple years ago. There was a movie called um, Loving that came out a couple years ago. and It was about a guy named Richard Loving and his wife, Mildred. And Richard met Mildred when they were children. Right? They became best buddies growing up as kids. And as they grew up, uh, they became young adults. They got married. The story goes, the two of them got married. Richard takes Mildred to be his wife. They get married five weeks after being married the police break into their house at 2 o'clock in the morning and pull them out and take them to jail. The problem was Richard and Mildred were married in 1958 in Virginia, and Richard was white, and his wife was black. And they said, you're not allowed to do that here. And they took them to jail. They eventually let them go and said, you can now uh, stay married, but you have to move from Virginia. You can't live here. And so they left Virginia, moved to Washington, D.C., where they were harassed. Mercilessly for years. Everywhere they went, when they tried to rent a place, they tried to find people, treated them horrible, and all that goes with it. And so eventually they ended up writing a letter to Robert Kennedy, who helped take up their case. They were married in 1958. Finally, in 1967, they went before the Supreme Court. And what happened is they they took their case before the Supreme Court and they voted unanimously that they could be married. They can have all the rights of citizens of the United States that they now have. And so Richard Loving said that they walked out and they stood on the the steps of the Supreme Court and he said for the first time I could put my arms around Mildred and publicly call her my wife. And you think when those, those two stood before the Supreme Court and then they heard that you are now citizens of the United States and you have every right that goes with it and yes, you can be married and go out. I think that's a little bit what it sounded like to the Gentiles when they heard Paul say, you are now citizens with the saints. You now have this inheritance through Jesus that you have all the same rights as the religious people of your day and you can come in and be part of this. And the question I want you to consider and think about just that first image there of being citizens with the saints, do you know that joy and awe that God can call you a saint? When we say that, the Bible says you're a saint, and people go, Whoa, I am no saint. Right? You ever feel that? Somebody goes, Well, you're a saint Whoa, a second. You don't know me well enough yet. I'm definitely not a saint. But what the Bible teaches is that through Jesus, he not only comes to take your sin, to restore you to God, but he gives you his righteousness. By grace, through faith, you have been saved, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Sometimes we, we take half of it. We say, Jesus paid for my sins, and he washed me clean, and we say those things, and yes, yeah, that's right. And then we stop. It's like, yeah, he, he gave me a clean slate, and now I've got to work really hard to keep this going. But that's not the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel is he took your sin, and he gave you his righteousness. You are perfect in his sight. He has dealt with all your sin and you have been made new and you are now a saint. And so when Paul says, I'm writing to the saints in Ephesus, he means Jew and Gentile, religious and irreligious, all that have put their faith in Jesus. And he says, you are now citizens with the saints. You are with Jesus in his kingdom right now because of what he's done. Now that doesn't change the fact that we're still sinful and we still struggle and we still need Jesus' grace every single day. But the beauty is that God sees you as that completed work already. That's a beautiful picture. And to hear that as a first century Gentile, that you are now a saint and you have all the same rights as citizens to God's kingdom. But then look at the second one he uses here. That's the first kind of image he gives us. But then he goes a little further. He says, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, verse 18. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He says, not only are you citizens with the saints, you are now members of the household of God. You're part of God's family. You've been brought in, and now you're part of the family. And I want you to think about the way the Bible talks about this. There's a couple things. We said this last week. We are all children of God in the sense of every single person is made in God's image. Every person you meet, no matter how close or how far away or where they go to church or they never go to church or any of those things, they're all made in God's image. And I said the the term my my friend likes to use, and I've kind of taken a liking it to it. We are all God's children. Some of us just aren't talking to Dad right now. And and that's true. And so what we have in the Bible is because of sin, even though we're all made in God's image, we're all made to be in a relationship with God first and foremost in our life. In a lot of ways, we've, we've turned and we've sinned, which is ignoring God and the world He created, or rebelling against God and the world He created, doing the things that He's told us not to do and the way His world works or ignoring him, but then the image in the Bible is that God is pursuing us in spite of that. And so it's interesting that we're children of God, but yet it talks about us being adopted into his family. Well, how does that work? He's our dad, then how do we get adopted back in with the one that's already our father? Well, it's because of our sin we've run away from him, and we've ignored him, and we've continued to go away from him. But he seeks to restore us And bring us back into the family. And so I want you to think about the way that plays out in the Bible. We're God's children but we've rebelled. We've broken that relationship. But then Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. To bring back his lost children. Jesus uses this image over and over. Uh, Immediately think of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. The son who leaves his father's house, squanders all the money and inheritance that he gives him. He goes off and lives horribly, ignoring him, doing all these things. And when he finally comes to the end of his rope and he spent all his money and he's in a horrible way, he finally returns to his father. And Jesus says, as he returns to his father's house, the father races out to meet his lost son. And He picks them up in His arms and He loves them and He holds them and He, and he welcomes them in. And Jesus says that is what God is like. Or, or He tells the parable of the lost coin or the parable of the lost sheep. And in those parables, Jesus says a shepherd loses a sheep but the shepherd leaves the 99 that are all together and goes and finds the one. And He said, that's why I'm here. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to... To seek after those that aren't talking to me right now. To adopt them back into my family. And so we see this image throughout the Bible. Actually, we sing it. I don't know if you noticed that. We just sang it a second ago. He sought me when I was a stranger wandering from the fold of God. Right? It's, it's all the way through that God's bringing us back into his family. And so he adopts us back in. And so the language that Paul uses here is that we're not just citizens with the saints. Not that just we have the rights or we now can go to heaven and we'll be with God. But it's more than that. that We're now brought into God's very family. And I want you to think about the deepening intimacy between citizens versus family. We share a commonality. Uh, most of us here from America speak English We've grown up that way. We have a commonality in the country and citizenry that we have. Uh, I think about times going to Europe and traveling through Europe, and then when I would meet other Americans that spoke the same language, I was like, all right, <laughs> I can talk to you easily. And we have some things in common, right? And so there's some, some camaraderie that comes with that. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that shared experience, we're we're thankful to be born in the country we were born in, enjoy the the things that come with that. But when he changes the imagery and he begins to talk about family, I want you to think about how much deeper the relationship is with a family, the household of God now being part of his family than it is just citizens of the same country. It's not just in a generic big way, but it's very close and intimate. And Jesus says we are his family. In fact, there's a passage in Matthew 12 where it says he was speaking and some people came to him and they said, your mother and brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. You know this passage? They come and they show up and Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he says, here are my mothers and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In Jesus, by faith in him, who does this regenerating work in us, he welcomes us into his family and he says, you're my family. We're now part of the household of God. And I want you to think about that image and, and what that looks like. What are the marks of a healthy family? We eat together. We spend time together. We care for one another. We know what's going on in one another's lives. We help each other when we're in need. We, we have a close proximity there, there's a transparency and a level of knowing one another that you don't just have as citizens of the same country, but now as a family that actually lives together. Right? Think about your, your brothers and sisters growing up. They knew everything about you, right? Like all the dumb things you do and say. And You can ask my sister later, right? She's got pictures of me in a leotard, I think. It's like uh, Dressed up like me and my brothers. You probably don't want to see that, but... It exists, and it's because of that proximity being close together, right? Like, you know everything. And so there's an image here of being part of the household of God and being brought into that, that we're now a family together. And we know each other more deeply, and we see each other in that way, and the reason that that can work in this unity is in Jesus is that, yes, we begin to see all the mess. And oftentimes we resist against this we go, oh, I don't know about that idea. And that's pretty intense to now say we're a family and we're going to really treat each other as that way. But if we hold fast to the gospel, we are saved by the grace of God and what he's done in our life. We can actually confess sin and know one another deeply so that we can point each other more fully to who we are in Jesus. It's the only way that works. It's the only way that that transparency begins to to be fleshed out in our life and we can let people in to see that because of who we are in Christ. And I want you to consider why that's so important to our growth and why he would even use that image here. He says, you're citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I want you to follow his reasoning and and what he's talking about. And he's saying that, that we are now a family because of who we are in Jesus. He calls Jesus the cornerstone. The cornerstone was often huge when they built buildings back in that day. And it's the way you would start a building. There's literally a great big piece in the corner and everything would be built off of that. And he says, you are now a member of the household of God and Jesus is the cornerstone. He talks about the apostles and the prophets. I think he's talking about the New Testament and the Old Testament, God's word. It's how we know God with Jesus at the center and that that's how we're now a family. And he's talking about this image when you start to think about what the whole of the New Testament says about that. It says for us to grow into the people that God has made us to be, we need our family. We need our family of faith helping us in that walk to do that. And it's so integrated in everything that the Bible says. There's so many passages in the New Testament, say, that tell all the things that we're to do to one another. To encourage one another, to correct one another, to bear one another's burdens. Right? This goes back to the way you were designed. You weren't designed to live on your own, just you and God. Right? God is to be the center and he's supposed to be first. But he even says it is not good that man should be alone. And so we're called to live as a community in our relationship with God, growing together in that. And so he uses that analogy here of the the household of faith. And why it's so important that God calls us to grow in that way. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis in your bulletin this morning. And the background to that quote is C.S. Lewis lost uh, one of his dearest friends. Three guys, really good buddies that spent all this time together. And one of them passed away. They said, when the friend that passed away, he said, I thought that the two of us that were left in kind of this group of the three, he said, I thought we would grow closer together. Because now it's just two of us instead of three. And we'll spend more time one on one and together. And what he realized over time is that wasn't true. He said, I'm not enough by myself to draw the whole person forth, people are complex. They're deep and you can't know somebody by yourself. It's only as you see them relating to other people or when we're relating together do you actually see all. It takes a community to draw the whole person out. If that's true about a human being, how much more true would that be of the Lord himself? You understand what he's saying? You know people in your life, but as you see them interact with other people, you know them more fully. I can say that's true in my relationship with my wife. Joanne and I were married and we spent four years together before we had children. And I got to know my wife very well in ways that I hadn't known her before and growing and understanding who she was. And then we had kids. And then I got to watch my wife as a mother. And then God brought us to ministry in this church. And then I got to watch my wife as a pastor's wife who welcomes people into her home. And I got to see the way she interacts and loves and cares for other people. And now I know my wife more fully than I did when it was just the two of us. The same is true in our relationship with God. And I can study and I can spend time and I can seek the Lord and I can learn and I can grow in my relationship with him. But he has designed us to do that in a community that we would help one another to grow in that. And how often that we get together together. And I hear my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they say something or an insight or things that God's showing. I'm like, wow, I've never seen that before. It's because God gifts us all differently, and he tells us that we're called to come together to live in that way as a family. And we need one another. I can't know God fully by myself. I don't know myself fully by myself. People living closely in my life are going to see different sides of me that maybe I try to hide when it's bigger groups. Man, that guy's really got it together. He should come to my house. You should see the way I am when I've told my kids to take a shower like eight times. And they're still downstairs and they haven't taken a shower yet. And you start to see the fullness of who we are in the closer proximity we live together. But what it does is it reveals the areas that have not been fully sanctified yet. And we need one another to encourage each other to grow into the fullness of our identity in Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. He says we're now members of the household of, of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And we need one another in that. And so we're citizens with the saints, but we're also members of the household of God. We're a family. But then the last thing I want you to see here that he says is he says we're we're members of the household of God built on the foundation. But then he says in whom, verse 21, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this is something we say here a lot. And it's really important for us to continue to say it and to remind one another. You are the church. You don't go to church. You are the dwelling place of the very Spirit of God, not this building. Jesus would show up, and in John 2 he says, in three days I'm going to tear down this temple and then I'm going to raise it up again. And everybody goes, what are you talking about? And they get really upset. You know it took 47 years to build, whatever. Check me on that, I don't remember how many years it is. It was a long time. And they get upset because he says that. But what Jesus was saying and what John tells you in John 2, he goes, we didn't know what he was talking about. Until after his death and resurrection. And then we realized he was talking about the temple as his body. So Jesus comes and does what we could never do for us. And he restores us to our relationship with the Father and with one another. And now we have the same spirit dwelling in us. And I don't think you can overemphasize this. It may almost sound like, whoa, can you say that? But when Jesus dies on the cross, it tells us the veil in the temple that separated the most holy place where God's spirit dwelt. Where his glory, the Shekinah glory was. The temple between that and the outer part was torn in two. It says, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, and it was torn from top to bottom in two. And so the very dwelling place of God, the very Holy Spirit of the Lord, is now you. It's not a building. It's not a place you go to. And he says here that as the Spirit dwells in us, we are being built up into a holy temple. So, go back to what we talked about last week. The Jews had misused all the things that God was seeking to do with them as a people. He gave them a temple to show the world what He was like. And instead, they put up a dividing wall of hostility to look down on other people. We're the in and you're the out. And you don't get it and we get it. And they caused all these issues. But now what He's saying is, we are the temple. That the very spirit of God dwells in you, and now we show the world what God is like in the way we live, in the way we love one another, in the way we proclaim who Jesus is. It's a pretty high calling. And when he says we're being built up together into this dwelling place for the spirit, and he switches his analogy. He goes from the, the church and the household to an actual building. Paul's kind of sneaky like that, right? The household of God, and it's built on this foundation. Oh, now we're in a building, right? And you're like, whoa, how do you do that? But think about the way it looks. We're now these uh, stones being knit together. And together we get to show the world what God is like, which is what Jesus says. You will know my disciples by the way they love each other. And we're called to now show what that looks like. And so I want you to see the, the big picture of this whole thing, and we'll end right here because we say this a lot. And I hope as we see it in Scripture, you realize it's not some sneaky little thing we came up with, right? But we say we want to grow in our up relationship with the Father. You are now saints, citizens of the kingdom of heaven through what Jesus has done, and we're growing in our relationship with the Father. And then we talk about the in-relationship with one another. You're now a part of the household of God, and this is your family. And we're called to love and encourage and walk together and make disciples and grow together. And then we say we want to be going out, right? So we say to be fully formed disciples, we want to grow up with God, in with one another, and out with the world. And the last thing he says here is you're now the temple. You're now the way that people see who God is because the spirit now dwells in you. And together you're showing people what that's like. See the up, in, and out thing? We didn't make that up. It wasn't some idea we came up with. It's all throughout Scripture. And we now get to show people what God is like in the way that we love one another. And the way that we invite them in to experience that with us. And God's called us to do that as we make disciples. And so I love the analogies that Paul uses because it so shows us what that's like. And it's all centered around the person and work of Jesus and what he's done for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of what you've done for us. We thank you that it is by your spirit, through what you've done in Jesus, that you have pursued us, that you have brought us back to your family, that you love us dearly, that you've done what we could never do for ourselves. We thank you that we do have a new family in you, that you've knit us together in this way. We pray that we would love one another in the ways that you've loved us, that we would truly see our identity now, as the very temple of the Spirit of God that we would seek to love other people in that way to show what you're like and the way that we treat them and we pray all of this would be for your honor and your glory we pray it in Jesus name, Amen